0: Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter, And I am here today with a new friend, Noah Tyler. How are you doing, Noah?
1: I'm doing well today. How are you?
0: I am doing splendid. Okay, tell me what you are drinking over there.
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I had a house (laughs) guest last evening, and he brought a bottle of kind of restaurant-brewed limoncello uh, from an Italian restaurant. So I don't usually take a drink like this in the workday, but, you know, it's an exception. Drinks with friends. There are
0: reasons for that. Cheers, man. I actually really love limoncello when it's done well. I don't like the sickly sweet. It tastes like like liquid candy, but that looks amazing.
1: It's quite good. I wish you were here. Nice.
0: I wish I was there too. And I am drinking plain old boring sparkling water, but it's flavored like grapefruit. The reason is because we are recording on the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, and it's 84 degrees here. So it's like summer, Mm -hmm. early summer here. It's uh, hot. So that's hot for Ash Wednesday. It's hot for Ash Wednesday. It's not hot for random days in Texas, but um, I'm used to it anyway.
1: (laughs) It seems both of us are yet to get our, our ashes today.
0: I'm getting him later. <laughs> We're going as a family. My, myself so. as well. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, you live in Baltimore. Have you been there your whole life?
1: I have not. I grew up on the Canadian border in New York. Really? Um, okay. yeah, lovely. Uh, it's it's cold both culturally and uh in the climate. Uh, so, yeah. it's a it's a cold place to grow up, but I uh I ended up in DC. The traffic kind of drove me north a little bit. So now I live in Baltimore, where my wife is a musician in the Baltimore Symphony. What does she play? The French Horn.
0: That's remarkable. Does she do this mm-hmm. like full time all day, every day? Or is this like, I don't even know what one does in a symphony.
1: Yeah. So they have a new repertoire every week. And so they'll practice on, you know, have like a rehearsal Tuesday, a couple of rehearsals Wednesday, a dress rehearsal Thursday, and then concert Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, um, before the children, I could go to a lot of these concerts. Um, now I'm on hand to watch the babies, uh, while she goes, but they're getting to be old enough now where we'll sneak them to a Verdi Requiem or a Wagner, a Wagner piece and some of them can appreciate it. So it's an exciting phase. That
0: sounds very cool. I love that. Okay. So, um, do you, I, you work for the CLT, do you work from home?
1: I work from home a couple of days a week and, and then in the office okay. a couple days a week. So the headquarters okay. is in Annapolis, and so I I scoot down there. There's no replacement for FaceTime with the boss and kind of keeping yeah. team cohesion, but nice to yeah. work from home on the other days.
0: Okay. So I just realized I said CLT. For mm-hmm. listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, that's a classic learning test. We'll get to that in a minute. But the reason I'm even asking you that is simply because I know you're a dedicated homeschool family, and I'm curious what that looks like for you. Can you, especially because I've got, we've got listeners that come from all walks of life that do all sorts of things with their kids if they are parents um, educationally. And we do have a lot of homeschoolers, but we also have some homeschool curious people, Um, Mm -hmm. many of whom think I can't do it. It's way too hard or it's overwhelming. So could you just walk me through sort of what it looks like for you guys as a homeschool family?
1: Wow. Okay. Um, Here we go. Uh, My (laughs) wife's only day off is Monday. And so we have a homeschool co-op on Monday and that works really well. Um, we get to, to enjoy fellowship with other families that are, that are connected to our parish or sister parishes. Um, on the other days of the week, our homeschool is from eight to 11. And that's something I grew up with a a couple of years of homeschooling and just having afternoons free. So wonderful. Um, so if they stay focused, they can get, they can get that done early. So on the days I'm home, I do all the math instruction. Um, my kind of mentor brian kaplan uh, in in grad school mm. for economics, he mm-hmm. has a blog, and one of the things he said is like, "I can get behind unschooling except for math you know like you've got mm. you can do unschooling if you give good, solid direction in mathematics, and so yeah. I try to make sure that we have that backbone for our family, doing Singapore for one kid and Beast Academy for another kid. Um, and try to track them through all of that work, and then they've got other subjects: history and English and and French. And you know, my six year old seven year olds reading The Hobbit and and Lord of the Rings. You know, so just can be a little bit more self directed. Every August, they pick their subjects outside of math. Um,
0: when you say they, you mean the kids or
1: the kids? Yeah. So okay. we ask them, Do you want to learn Latin this year? Do you want to learn French this year? Like what what seems fun? So it is a. It's not unschooled, like, learn if you want and don't learn if you don't want. They still have to do subjects. Um, But we let them, you know, uh, philosophy was something that we took on. There's an amazing philosophy book for kids that we used. Um, And it's just a chance for them to explore.
0: Okay. So you mentioned a seven-year-old. How old are all your kids?
1: Yes. So I have uh, nine, seven, five, and two.
0: Okay, so I'm assuming so I've got babies
1: the- with diapers all the way up to you know Catherine who's learning French on Duolingo or, okay. or Rosetta Stone or whatever. So,
0: okay, so I'm assuming when you talk about homeschooling, you're talking about primarily the nine and seven year old and maybe the five year old.
1: Yep, he's got he's in Singapore Math and does okay. some some early reading. Hundred Easy Lessons is great for him. Um, mm-hmm. We're working through that that classic text. Uh, the thing that I didn't mention is. That with my wife working and me working, we do have a babysitter who does up to a third of the homeschooling and that we just have to be okay with that. Um, we trust her. She's really available. She's really flexible. And I think any first time babysitter is like, oh, watch this wild pack of kids, but i am you can't ask more than that i'll keep them alive but you can't ask me to educate your children Um, but if you can have someone who's stable enough and gets gets used to the routine it's actually easier to keep them on the routine than it is to break routine and um and actually this babysitter is off to the walters art museum right now with with all four of the kids so uh the the afternoons free give us this flexibility to go to the big public library the big art museums that are right in town right in walking distance from where we are
0: Okay, this takes me back to my early years with my kids because we have three. Um, my oldest is now eighteen, and then our youngest is twelve. So we're like, you know, on the mm-hmm. later end of things. Still kids at home, but just on the later end of that. Um, but we did the exact same thing. My husband and I really? both worked, and mm-hmm. we had a babysitter, and she helped out, and she was the one that. I mean, we kind of jokingly said like she did all the fun stuff, just because <laughs> you know we had to work. Yeah, um, you have but to. we we. We made it work too. And somehow you blink and here you are. So it, mm-hmm. it is totally possible. I love that you mentioned this too, because you're making it, you're, you're proving the case that it's possible with two working parents. And yeah. a lot yeah. of times people say, think they can't do it because of that mm-hmm. dichotomy, but y'all figured yep. it out. Yeah.
1: Yep. The, with my wife's schedule being not nine to five, she's got, you know, two and a half hours here and two and a half hours mm-hmm. there, and it kind of breaks up the schedule. So um, I think if we both had nine to fives, it would be harder. Um, but mm-hmm. with working from home, I can take the kids all the way up to nine. And my boss knows that even sometimes past nine, if the if the logic puzzles that my daughter's working on are really fun and I can't pull myself away, um, I might have to, to hang with her a little bit longer.
0: Well, it probably helps that you work for the CLT and they would yes. understand that. They <laughs> could appreciate,
1: yeah. I'm just preparing yeah. her for the CLT.
0: <laughs> right, right. There you go. Um All right. You mentioned before we hit record that you live in Baltimore. So a lot of times, well, maybe the stereotype is dwindling, but um, there's this common stereotype of homeschoolers tend to be like living off the land, Mm -hmm. uh, homestead types. But you were mentioning you Mm -hmm. live like in the city. So what does that look like for you guys?
1: Well, we bought our house like as the pandemic was just shutting things down. And when I signed, it was our first house, when I signed the piece of paper handing over my life savings, um, the amount of land I purchased was 0.03 acres with a zero <laughs> yeah. there, like 0.03. And the, right, the property <laughs> width is, yeah, is 15 feet wide, like the entire property. Um, so, so it is, it is <laughs> okay. tight living. I have this big spiral st- staircase because it's, um, in, in the middle of the house, the central corridor, and so we've got a lot of room up um, because we're in the city that way. It's a historic brownstone, um, but the the urban life. We've got homeless friends that that come over, and you know, we on Christmas. I'll never forget Christmas Eve. We we had them in and gave them a sleeping bag and gave them a warm meal, and you know, it was just the most wonderful way to spend the time. You know, mm-hmm. between dinner and Christmas Eve mass. We just kind of celebrated a Christmas with them. Um, mm. We lived 10 blocks away from where we do now in the parish itself, which is on one of the main drug corners of, of Baltimore, where people come together. There's a methadone clinic across the street and people are sh- are shouting code names of drugs. And the kids are just used to that. People are are mm. kind of all messed up in, in all kinds of conditions on drugs. And the, the kids know like, hey, mom, I think that that guy needs a a bottle of water. Can we bring that out to to them? Like it's hmm. something that's really real and raw for them. Hmm. Um, there's an instinct to protect and shield your kids from the raw edges of reality, um, and we do. Like we we don't stick them out in the middle of, of of the worst scenes. But there's there's a realness to the the struggles that people have in downtown Baltimore, and there are nice neighborhoods, and we're in a nice neighborhood. But of course, two blocks away is you know, is the flashing lights and, you know, and the sirens and all of that. So um, it's never that far. And, you know, the the kids refer to the poor, um, you know, what can we do for the poor today? And they just have a mental image of what that means to take care of the poor. And to have, when you're reading the Gospels, to have a concept or or some kind of meaningful content for what Christ is talking about with the poor will always be with you. Is I think a blessing for them as they grow up and and form ideas about the world.
0: And to me, it seems like that's just a given part of their education. You know, if you mm-hmm. think of of what we're doing as parents, is raising up our kids in the paideia of God. There's not this like you know you you mention eight to eleven school, but it's not like they stop learning at eleven. It's right. all of life, right. and that's part of that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like
1: right, yeah. There's lots of observation.
0: <laughs> and you mentioned, I mean. I'm thinking about how this all layers up because we're also like, I know your family, just like ours, is really big into reading. And you mentioned before we chatted, in particular, the classics. You said something like you had um, a shelf of books outside their rooms and you initially thought of it as kind of like kind of decoration at first. But then you (laughs) thought, Mm -hmm. like, maybe we should read these. Tell me more about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I do work for the classic learning test. And so I helped form the author bank that kind of identified who are the greatest thinkers. And so that's my professional life. And then I've got, you know, Mm -hmm. my kids at home and we read storybooks and and that's all great. But I had a friend probably knowing where he worked. He's like, my kids are grown. I'm never going to read these books. And he just left an original printing of the 1909 Harvard classics and yeah, I, I thought this would be beautiful. I've got brand new shelves my father-in-law put in. I'll, I'll put them up there as a great backdrop for my for my Zoom rooms. And uh, the the door to my kid's room is right there next to the shelf, next to my office. And so as, I, as they put them to bed, we have very strict routine. 8.16 is rosary minute. Sorry, 7.35 is pajama minute. You know, like we try to keep everything right on schedule. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. And so... Once rosary's over then we have the lights off I step outside the door the light's still on in my office and I sit in in the chair and read to them from something I'm sitting there grabbing a poetry book or grabbing this or that and I'm like well, why not just grab the books off this shelf and helpfully there's a volume there with an index that gives you all the best places to start for kids under 12 and so you can just check off Robin Hood 1001 Arabian Nights um uh, Hansel and Gretel and all the Anderson tales and Grimm's fairy tales. And so we've been through all those volumes and it's been an absolute trip to have our family culture and life flavored by a different classic every three months when we, when we finished a volume and move on to the next, we did the entire odyssey. And so everything is about the Greeks and everything's about, you know, the, the, the shipping and, and then speaking of shipping, the most recent way we, we, we finished was, um, one that I'd never heard of. Um, it, w- it was um, a a classic called Two Years Before the Mast about merchant shipping in the 1830s, before the gold rush when California was pretty desolate <laughs> and just the hard life of a sailor. And so fascinating read, 400 pages of of the life of a sailor. It's just really pretty intense. But the kids just talk about, you know, hoist the halyards. You know, they're just, you know, running around doing all this kind of sa- uh, sailing imagery that, that's captured their imagination. And we're about to finish Beowulf as as mm-hmm. one of the most recent in, in the series. So yeah, I don't know if we'll make it all the way through the 50 volumes. You know, we could, we could <laughs> you know, we could beach on uh, Immanuel Kant and just not quite make it through <laughs> <laughs> certain, certain volumes. Um, sure. But I think that it's been an absolute delight to Enrich, kind of have a diet of, of these books and enrich yeah. the family and, and everybody has jokes, you know, tied into e- each yeah. of these books.
0: You never know about that Kant, though. Like I never in a million years <laughs> could imagine that one day I would be having like – or that my kids would be teaching me stuff about philosophy, let's say. But, mm-hmm. you know, my oldest – she's now taking – Uh, classes, she's going to Franciscan in the fall. And so she's already taking classes. And she's telling me all these things that I didn't know yet. I have a son who's super into he's just nerding out on like Aristotle and stuff like that. And so Mm. it's like one day, you know, you give him a steady diet. I'm not saying I did things, you know, perfectly, but like, you give them a steady diet of the Hobbit, then Mm -hmm. somehow one day they kind of pull off that Aristotle's Ethics at the used bookstore and ask, "Can I buy this?" Yeah, you're like, yeah. "Sure, let's see what happens." I guess you know. I don't know. There's something yeah, and- about letting the ideas not do the heavy lifting, but just giving them a feast of ideas. There, mm-hmm.
1: there, there are certain authors like Kant or Nietzsche that that get an eye roll from the general public, but you know, I I actually personally like them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, I, I would be glad to read read my kids from from any of those sources. Um, yeah, and, and I. I was just listening to one of the recent, uh, we, have, we have a podcast as well, Anchored Podcast, mm-hmm. and listening to right. that, they were talking about the importance of reading to your teenage children, that, mm-hmm. that you don't have to give up on nightly reading to your children just because they're not in double-stacked bunk beds in the same room. You can continue that habit and continue to even level up the content beyond, that's right. um, beyond the, the 12 and under stage. That's so true. that's something that We've I do had- look forward to.
0: We've had, I mean, it gets trickier because they start having like their own lives and you're like, what? You're Mm. going to work? That's a thing? Okay. You know, um, (laughs) but we've still managed to make it work. You just have to flex on it. Like now it doesn't look like bedtime stories, but it might look like. Around the dinner table stories. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the cool thing is they can participate in the reading aloud, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like my daughter is really good with voices. And so whenever it's time for Smeagol or Gollum, she she does a <laughs> great job, you know. So it's like, I don't know, you can still make it work no matter how old they are. I think there's something mm-hmm. really um kind of sacred about the art of sharing stories about reading aloud because you're participating yeah. in the same story together as a family. Um, Even mm-hmm. like audiobooks on road trips, you know, that's not quite the same, but it's kind of the same in a yeah. way. Yeah. So there's ways to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think that it takes a commitment, but on the other hand, it's so enjoyable. Like, mm-hmm. um, when I look at my evening and I say, man, my evening doesn't even start until it's 915. You know, where does all my time go? Why can't I watch Netflix series, you know, in in the evening? Well, because I'm really committed to reading these beautiful yeah. books. Instead, this is my story time instead of Netflix story. I'm having kind of read aloud, connect with my kids, create a family culture story time. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's, it's been a commitment. I'm not sorry to have
0: It's also like whenever you make a commitment to things like working out or I'm going to quit sugar at first, Mm -hmm. it's just hard and it, and it feels no fun, you know, and then eventually Mm -hmm. your tastes change. And I'm not saying it's still like easier to read Beowulf than it is to just hit next on Netflix, but it stopped sounding impossibly hard, you know, so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of a listener right now who's thinking, are you kidding my nine year old, you know, with Beowulf, there's no way, but you just never know, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's not where you start, you start with something a little more palatable, there's all sorts of great well told stories that maybe aren't old English, but there's something and and just give it a little try before jumping into the deep end.
1: Yeah, I think there's also, you have to develop the appetite among the children themselves. Um, when yeah. I, when the cousins come over and I try to read Beowulf to them, you know, they're just not, <laughs> they're used to Mario or something. It's just, they're, they're not quite ready for it. Where we go to an ordinary parish and they're really used to these and those and dip, deep, reach, deep rich texts. Um, mm-hmm. And we've read so many of the classics that the next one isn't that hard. They're used to the vocabulary of the language and they'll still stop. Um, and say, hold on, what does vindication mean? You know, okay, Mm -hmm. we can stop and kind of work through some of the vocabulary. But next time, they know what vindication means, and they can flow through it. Um, We're definitely being flexible on the translation and not sticking slavishly to the 1909. uh, And that means we're reading the Seamus Haney, um, uh, Beowulf, which just, fun alliteration. And so they get to really enjoy the, the feel of the language. And yeah you know if johnny is my my fall asleep guy and so if we don't want him to miss the story yeah. all right we got to we got to take a break on beowulf but we'll still read some poetry cuz then he won't miss anything and so right. they just love poetry and they'll try to memorize little bits of the poem that i just mm-hmm. that i've just read to them or you know try to notice the rhyme scheme um so just giving an appetite to your kids for higher literature it's an investment mm-hmm. but it's it's something that you know it leads to a higher pleasure, um, really, yeah. all of our higher pleasures require investment up front, and so, yeah, this is a way to to really contribute to that investment fund for your kids, like you mm-hmm. can't really get them necessarily make them read certain books, but if you read to them, suddenly, the door is unlocked to a wider range of books that that lead to these higher pleasures, higher enjoyments and And really soul-shaping works that have been so foundational for, like, the enhancement of humanity over the years.
0: Right, right. And I'm curious if your kids – I mean, maybe you've been doing this long enough to where they don't know any different, but was it hard at first for them? Like, did you have to read shorter? Did they balk at first? Did they want you to read something a little more current? What did they think at first?
1: I think they just love me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like – to have dad's voice you know putting yeah. them to sleep every night has has just been fun so i i think they don't really care what i read and as long as i'm loving it they're loving it and you know if they, if i don't mind if they interrupt me um mm-hmm. i remember jeremy um the the ceo at mm-hmm. at clt he said that you know sam and frodo you know, have nothing on the the journey of him being interrupted every sentence through Lord of the Rings. Like, (laughs) this is like the longest, the longest epic voyage of his reading life is being interrupted over and over and over. So as long as you don't mind that, um, and can be patient with that. That's Um, funny. Another fun project, and it's hard to balance all the projects I would love to do. um, We read through the New Testament in a year, and then as a reward went to the Bible exam, Bible Museum, Museum of the Bible in in D.C. We're close enough to to zing down there, Uh Um, which was a fun treat after, you know, a a themed uh, project. And then all fall we sang the Psalms of the evening uh, from from Mm. evening prayer. We have a St. Dunstan's like plain chant hymnal. And so just singing to the kids was was a delight. Um, But of course you can't sing and read Beowulf and pray the rosary. And, you know, (laughs) at some point... (laughs) You have to kind of like put some kind of a limit on there, but we're we're trying to sneak through the Old Testament this year in addition to the, oh, the wow. classics. So,
0: okay. You said something there that I think is really important for us to remember as parents that when we commit to, you know, introducing our kids to, to good stories, to good literature, to good ideas, it can feel overwhelming at all there is. And especially if you're thinking, I want to do a course correction, like let's say, your youngest is 12, like mine, and you're thinking, I want to do better, it can feel overwhelming. But the idea isn't necessarily to cover everything. The idea Mm, is mm -hmm. to have rightly ordered loves. And and so if our kids, and, you know, even that's a lifelong pursuit, but if we can help our kids order their loves rightly, then maybe they won't get to Beowulf yet, but maybe in college or, you know, in adulthood, they'll pick it up for fun and realize what Mm -hmm. a treat it is, you know?
1: Yeah, there's a couple a couple of thoughts. One, I went to just a public high school in the country. Never had any access to the classics or familiarity with the classics, but I remember one class period, not a class, but a class period, where the social studies teacher just wrote on the board, "Here's some guys you should probably know: Boccaccio. Here's what he wrote, and here's what it's about: Dante." here's what he wrote, and here's what it's about, just in one class period. And I remember all those names, and it just kind of like, really? Who are these guys? It just kind of opened up this mystery for me. Um, Mm. And I never read them until, you know, later I went to Grove City, which had a a stronger, you know, core curriculum, um, and then just have spent the rest of my life exploring and digging into those ideas. But just the tiniest little introduction to the family of ideas and the world of, of literature and, and philosophy that was out there um, yeah. really was all it took. Just just really got me excited.
0: That's that's really cool. And that's encouraging as a teacher because I, I will tell my students, um, you know, I teach twice a week at our co-op and I will tell, you know, juniors and seniors, I'm not necessarily assigning you Crime and Punishment or Inferno um, thinking you're going to like it. That like the point isn't to like it. The point is to form you and that maybe, you know, your 17 year old self might not really understand it, but your 37 year old self will pick it up again and mm-hmm. you'll appreciate the richness and the depth a lot longer. So sometimes we have to really have the long game in mind, you know, whenever
1: yeah.
0: I, I end up, you know, like I assign this text cause I'm so excited about it. And then it turns out the next week we gather, I'm spending the whole time actually like just explaining what it is like oh we Mm -hmm. can't even get to these deep rich questions we have to explain like who are these characters and what are they doing and why are they all named Ivanich and you know things like that (laughs) oh man it gets really tough
1: even as an adult I I will say that there's there's a younger uh, Aeneid that we went through when the kids Mm -hmm. were younger and there's there's an amazing illustrated uh, version of the Iliad and the Odyssey that I absolutely love Um, Jillian Cross is the illustrator Um, oh okay I know what you're talking about But the the illustrations are amazing, and the language is really good too. Um, so mm, I swear okay. by that. I've I've gifted it to many friends um, with with small children. So we we have started. Yeah, we we haven't started obviously with Greek. Um, we haven't gotten to Greek, you know. Um, yeah. But we you know we started at the level that they can handle, and have kind of the, the, when we read it from the actual full text, they had the context mm-hmm. of the illustrated version to help them help them along. Cool. I love what you That's said great. about the the ordering of loves um i th- I think having it read aloud and having them all day act out the sailing life the the night my son is all he's got his little you know chain mail outfit and I made him a wooden sword and a shield and he can fight dragons all day long like th- what what could be better for ordering loves and teaching courage and valiance and and those sorts of things um we again can contribute to that investment fund and and help them learn to love those things that they can explore later on the opposite of that like you're saying is if you just assign heavy books and and overburden mm-hmm. a student um and it also makes me think that these these harvard classics 50 volumes and it's taking us three and four months to, to get through each one i'm doing the math like wow this could this could <laughs> be like a lot a lot of years you know 12 years yeah. to get through these books um, but i read an article about well, first of all, my company is reading Nick and Mickey and Ethics right now. And there you go. I read I read some passages to my daughter. She's like, well, when does this come up in the Harvard Classics? And I'm like, well, that's a good point. Where is that in the Harvard Classics? Right. It's not there. Like wow. this book list is not perfect. Um, sure. And so if I'm going to slavishly, I'm going to get through these books no matter what, you know, well, I probably need to curate a little bit more carefully and be more thoughtful than just taking whatever some Harvard president in 1909 thought were the best classics. There's two volumes of Darwin and no volumes of Aristotle. So it just tells you like, maybe this is not the final word on what the classics are. And that's true. So I think, you know, I need to to be a little bit more flexible.
0: You actually just uh, lobbed me a softball for punting out the, and I'm honest to goodness saying this, that I use y'all's author bank. All the time, both as mm. a parent and as a teacher. So y'all have this really great author bank on the CLT website that just like you have it listed by time period, and you just have listed authors and well, mm-hmm. authors and thinkers. I guess I mean the written word. Um, and I have assigned an essay more than once this year relating to that. You know, I've had a, I've had mm. students pick and pick um, an author, which work represented from this author bank. Defender refute whether, you know, it's a hero's journey, blah, 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 like all sorts of things. And it, I mean, it's sort yeah. of like this infinitely living books kind of growing canon that doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not set in stone, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I noticed an author that, uh, is missing, I think. And so a student asked me, like, can I write about John Steinbeck instead? And I'm like, sure. Even though they're not on this author Ooh. bank, you may write about Steinbeck, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's not perfect, but, but mm-hmm. it is it is very comprehensive. So anyway, just like a little side in there.
1: Interestingly enough, I have been now part of two, like (laughs) six to eight month revisions of the author bank. So I've gotten to to roll up my sleeves and duke it (laughs) out with other people over who belongs and who doesn't belong. You know, who's the central core that could never change. Who are the people that are, that are, you know, you really ought to have read two out of three of them and who are truly swappable. Like, if you have Hemingway versus Steinbeck versus Fitzgerald, do you need all three um, <laughs> right. or or do you just have to pick because we can't have 280 authors? We've got to kind of narrow it down in right. some way. So if we were going to open it up, maybe we'd say, okay, Hemingway, it's not your turn anymore. It's time to get Steinbeck in there. You know, we, we might have to, <laughs> to make some calls that way. Um, yeah. But it's absolutely yeah. true that if you look at it, you see a lot of unevenness because we didn't want to limit it to just the top 20 core people everybody should read. We want to, to, to Hmm. expand that out to introduce thinkers that might be, you know, maybe they're not on the level of Aristotle, but they're speaking to a context and speaking on questions that Aristotle, you know, from his position wasn't able to speak to. So, um, it's been a really wild process The both times, both times that we've gone through that author bank. Um, I do also want to point out that a lot of the authors by this point have hyperlinks on them. And so you can click through ah. to a little profile that explains okay. and contextualizes their work. And I've long thought that homeschool families should take advantage of those little profiles. Um, and in addition, in the same, th- that links out to our blog called The Journal. Um, mm-hmm. There's something called the syn- Syntopticon. Synopticon. Hmm. Um, okay. It's a list of the biggest ideas. So ideas of time, ideas of matter. And our our internal house writer, who's a buddy of mine and who's been with CLT a long time, he's actually gone through the entire syntopticon, synopticon, I should say <laughs> the word right, um, that was put together, I believe, by Mortimer Adler, if you, if oh, you know that name. Yeah, yeah, of course. So And uh, so he put together, it was, I mean, it was a collaboration between dozens of scholars, actually, to, to put mm. that together originally. But he gives like a short little encapsulation of those huge ideas. And so what a fun project for a student to write a response piece to, or to kind of t- to continue on from where our little eight paragraphs ends, you know, and, and kind of write a bigger piece. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that wider used in the homeschool community.
0: Okay. Are you saying that you guys have that on your website?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: I'm going yeah. to look at this right after. Okay. I'm going to put all this in the show notes for people who are curious, but I'm okay. definitely <laughs> going to look that up because I can also say as a parent, sometimes you get overwhelmed, like what all, how do I possibly narrow down what to teach And Maybe that sounds like something that someone, mm-hmm. when they don't know where to start, can start with. So, oh, if
1: you're having yeah. show notes, I should mention my philosophy, uh, my philosophy book <laughs> that I've used with the kids. It's so good. Um, yeah,
0: tell me it's,
1: uh, let's see philosophy for kids. It's got 40 lessons. So the, the title is just Philosophy for Kids. And so we just took 40 weeks, 40 Fridays, and went through – it's got – it's ordered actually by concept, but each concept is illustrated by a mm. particular philosopher. So you get some of the history of philosophy and you get mm-hmm. um, the biggest ideas. So That's I, I love cool. that. And, you know, we can kind of –
0: Nice. I have – yeah. I've already listed quite a bit for the show notes. So I'm I think sure, there's going to yeah, be a sorry. lot. In a good way. No, no, no. It's good. It's yeah. good. I love I love a good show notes list whenever – a podcast I'm listening to, you go and then it's like, you don't have any of these books listed. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm a big fan of this. So no worries at all. Um one thing I wanted to mention, because I've got an I've got a senior who is mm-hmm. going to her first choice college. And nice. one of the ways she's going to her first choice college, and by the way, I am not saying this as though I did everything right. In fact, she is very much a 18 year old who still makes <laughs> choices and has sus- suspicious ideas, you know. Hopefully so this she's is not, not listening say, right now. <laughs> oh, she might be. It's okay. She's in the next room. I don't care anymore. <laughs> she's 18. Um, but um, that she got into her first choice college. She got a really good scholarship that we would not, I mean, there's no way we could have gone here without that. Mm-hmm. Um In part, not in any small part between her GPA and her CLT score. And she took Mm -hmm. the CLT, I want to say, three or four times. I forget how many times. But here's the weird thing. She also took took the SAT once, the PSAT once.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And she actually wanted to take the CLT several times. And after the third time, she said, okay, this sounds really weird, but it's kind of fun. Like she took it one (laughs) summer and then um, there was some prompt on there about Frederick Douglass's speech on the 4th of July. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she ended up doing this whole long deep dive about that. And it's like, I had no idea this is amazing and like read and read and read and loved it. And so I just say this to say like, it's a college prep test. It's, it's a placement test. It's a, you know, I mean, you know what it is, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, In, I mean, almost enjoyable, almost, right? If it's going to be a test, it's actually really rich. I don't know. If you can
1: get away from the stress of it and the implications and the scholarship dollars and all all of the the pressure that goes into that, the goal is that it be an an introduction and a reinforcement to the the great ideas. So if you've already read Frederick Douglass and you love Frederick Douglass, great. You can just enjoy the passage and, and do the reading comprehension. If you haven't, maybe you leave the test and say, whoa what was that i've never read gk chesterton and there's this passage mom like we've heard that several times and it's the most heartwarming stories is to to hear that that the uh the the passages have actually sparked an interest in further reading uh Mm -hmm. in uh, in the part of students the other thing i'll say is on the math like the math sometimes gets forgotten when you're talking big classic works like well what about the math over here you know Yep. But I was an SAT, ACT, LSAT. I, I was tutoring before Jeremy hmm. pulled me into the the CLT world. And the the SAT used to have these really really fun questions at the end, geometry, where some piece of the puzzle over here gives you a clue that you pull over to this part of the geometric, you know, uh, model, mm-hmm. and then that gives you a clue for this part, and you finally get to the answer. And wow, that was really fun. Um, They'd give you the easy question at the beginning, and then the, the separate the men from the boys type type questions at the end. <laughs> and in the revision the SAT's gone away from that. They they everything is now mm-hmm. algorithmic. It's like did you follow the eight steps that your teacher taught you to follow in that exact order and if you if you didn't pay attention in class you can't get the question right by any fancy creativity of your brain. But CLT has remained that creative aspect where okay, this is beyond me. I don't really know what's going on here, but I think I could figure something out. Um, and giving a student that hope and kind of awakening that creativity is something we're also excited about. That's, that's the logical yeah. reasoning and the the, uh, the kind of out of context thinking or borrowing from one co- context to, to another. Um, all of that is part of the fun of the test. Um, right. if, <laughs> if, if you'll allow any fun at all.
0: Um, um, that is a good way to put it because my daughter is not math inclined. Like she would tell you this, uh, hated it, <laughs> hated most of her math, uh, experience. However, she did better on the CLT's math portion than mm. the SAT, because I think partly for that reason, because she's actually a very smart kid. She's just, right. I think it, this SAT math portion just was presented in such a way that she was not used to it at all. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and, and. The te- I mean, not to totally change subject, but I'm just picturing her taking this test. She did it all at home, and it- was that because of COVID, or is that because it's all online?
1: Well, we we kind of decided. Well, we saw COVID coming, and okay, we said, well, we could just sit on the sidelines, which is what the SAT and the ACT ended up doing because of the just massive scale that they were working on. That what what could they do, you know? Or. Yeah. We can just work nights and weekends and develop a remote proctored version of this test for for the families out there that need uh, need an option. We actually okay. asked our partner colleges, do you really need this to be proctored or can we just trust these kids? You know, they're good kids. They're like, no, we really want a <laughs> proctoring system. So we've got the, the keystroke analysis and the cameras and the screen, sh- screen capture and all of that to make sure that, you know, the kid's the only one in the room. And, and um, But that, of course, has persisted beyond covid and now we have Mm -hmm. got remote proctored tests basically every every uh every month of the year and students can take a test often for free um because colleges sponsor the test and and invite students to get connected to the to the colleges and get a free free clt out of it i I do want to share just because we have a homeschool audience that the other fun thing that we hear um after the test is that students thought that they were going to get left out of the college search Process That they thought, you know, know, colleges are out there looking for the valedictorians of the big high schools. They're looking for Mm -hmm. the top, you know, national merit award winners and um, to feel like they can be a part of that and to feel like that based on their CLT score they're going to be connected with the Grove cities and the Hillsdales and the Wheatons and the the Ave Maria's. And um, it's, it's an option. As you sign up, you can check a box or not check a box saying I'd like to be recruited by some of the best schools. Um, and so mm-hmm. we've heard really, really heartwarming stories about students with these insecurities as a homeschool high schooler, like, mm-hmm. you know, it was cool when I was a kid and now I'm a high school kid. And I wonder if this is going to be a setback or I'm going to be going to be left on the sidelines, but um,
0: like right. for them
1: to get college mail, you know, but the best college mail, you know, um, has been right. a fun thing for us to hear about.
0: Huh, that's really cool. And I, I can understand that. I hadn't connected those dots, but that makes a lot of sense. And actually, we, you guys really helped with the college search because you have the list of the colleges on your website. And we kind of just, I mean, we we added a few colleges in Texas. But otherwise, we just narrowed it down to what colleges took the CLT, not because we were so, like, we are not willing to take any other test, but because there's something about, like, y'all's seal of approval that feels a little like, okay, if I'm going to spend money on college, mm-hmm. I want a real education. I want it to be something I would trust from, mm-hmm. with my kid. Um And so there's something about you guys saying, like, if they are willing to take the CLT, that says something about them as a college. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And it's been really organic. We haven't said, Mm. you know... Not you. You can't be on our list, you know. Like basically sure. anybody who wants to stand with us, we'll stand with them, you know. Um yeah. the the fun next echelon for us of colleges that that we're working with are the honors colleges within the big institutions. So working like with Baylor. the honors college at Baylor, yet yeah, Clemson, mm-hmm. Biola, like the, there's these these enclaves of really truly wonderful programs led by by great leadership through the great books and uh, we're we're really happy to be working with those schools and for recommending them to all of our families. So
0: that's really cool. Okay, so just as we start wrapping up, um, I'm thinking of a listener that's perhaps not a homeschooler and feels like they just want more for their kids. They want more of the great books in their life. They want perhaps the ability to take the CLT when the time comes, and for them to not feel lost what would you suggest for them? That's like a really easy next step or maybe not easy, but the, the direct next step for them to add more of this goodness in their life.
1: So one of the things that I don't really reflect enough on is the power of the habits of the family. And if you can just consider like, what time do we eat dinner? What happens in that little space after dinner? Um, For, for us, we always have dinner, then fruit, then dessert. And during fruit, we always have memorized the Baltimore Catechism time, you know. And mm. and so just kind of considering the habits and and deciding, all right, is there something this year? Like August is always our reframing month where we let the kids pick their subjects and kind of think about what habits we want to instill. I think just sketching out, like, what does the day in the life look like? The kid comes home from school, public school at three or four. What are they doing in that time? Obviously, you don't want to overstructure or, or have an oppressive like, but you know, our kids know 735 pajama minute, you know, it's like it's easy. It's not an oppressive thing, it's just natural transitions. Um, and then being intentional. Um and, and I think the last part that we've already touched on a lot is doing what what you as a parent love. And so, mm. you know, if if you're a dad that loves building things in the woodshop, you know, like, well, just make sure that that's part of the life of of your education of your child, that that you're Mm -hmm. taking them down, um, that it's not a a rare treat, but it's just part of the regular family process. Okay. Now it's time to build something on the lathe. Or if you're, if you're a mom that loves to make bread, like, all right, like every Saturday at at two o'clock, we're going to start a, a, you know, a sourdough and we're going to finish it on Sunday at this time. Just, Mm -hmm. just kind of laying out the ideal week or the ideal Friday and, and, trying to build a little bit more regularity because kids truly do flourish in that kind of an environment. And there really is a lot of time lost in the cracks um, if, if there isn't that layer of intentionality. So I don't think that you have to take on a giant, massive project, read all the classics or, or something, but, but doing what you love and being intentional about the family habits and the, the schedule that the, that the family operates on uh, would be my, my bit of advice.
0: That's really good. That's really good. And I will just add on as a parent of a senior, um, it feels like you've got like, especially on the early end, you've got years and years and years ahead of you. And it really I mean, it's so cliche, but it really does go so quickly that um, you will not regret doing what you just said, you know, like mm-hmm. if you think, okay, yeah, I love baking bread, but that's like my time without my mm-hmm. four year old asking to help and making a giant mess in the kitchen. But really, I promise you, you won't regret having them participate in the rituals and the liturgies of daily life like that.
1: On the subject of that cliche, um, <laughs> I remember going to a men's group when I had two toddlers two two tiny people. And they were just like, all in my hair and the diapers and the screaming. And you know, it was just impossible to feel like I had any life at all. And this guy, he wasn't even that old. But he's like, of all the projects that I've, you know, that I've worked on in my life, I think the raising of my kids is the one I'm most proud of. I'm like, Project How could this be a how could this be a project? This is the most consuming thing, like there can't be anything else else after this. Like when these kids would leave the home, my life is spent. <laughs> but but truly, like you're saying, life goes on beyond that. Yeah. It's gonna be something that you'll look back on and yeah. you know and want to have invested as much as you can um in those it's true.
0: So, yeah, and God gives you the grace.
1: I think about people like like Kant. And like, uh, uh, who else would I think of Hume where they didn't have kids? They didn't have wives. They devoted their lives to their philosophy, you know? Yeah. But that's not me. You know, I'm devoting my life to my kids. I'm pouring out my life, not into a great book project or a great, you know, I, I'm impressed at those who can do both. Um, but really this is, this, it truly is the project of my life. CLT is also very consuming, um, but really, anything that's left goes to the family. Um, there isn't a yeah. lot. Isn't a lot else.
0: Well said. Well said. And I think God gives us the grace in different seasons. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you've got the the babies and you think I cannot possibly do that, you know, just wait for the grace to come to where mm-hmm. I now. You know, I go to bed. Way before my kids do, and you know that's just the way it works because that's the season we're in. You know, like I, Mm -hmm. I remember though when it was the bedtime routine with the pajamas and the story time and all that, and Mm it and we're not in that anymore. So I just say that you know, like parents, Mm. it it changes. So it'll you'll be fine where you are. Just work with where you are at the moment you have it. So we like to wrap up our chats with sharing one thing that's adding a little bit more beauty to our days. So Noah, what do you have right now?
1: I think that the thing that's adding beauty to my days is Teresa Vavala.
0: Ooh. All right. Yeah. Her writing, so I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. The, there are all these spiritual manuals that are lining my shelves that are intimidating me from the shelf. Like, <laughs> like, ooh, like, wow, the cloud of unknowing. Like, I don't know. Like, there's a warning in the beginning of that one that says, beware, consider yourself whether you're worthy to read this book. And I'm like, closing that one, put it back
0: on the I'm shelf. I'm not. <laughs> right. <laughs> but
1: for some reason, the way of perfection, I just pulled it off the shelf and it's really been... um you know, it's not revolutionizing my world, but like you're saying, it's, it's sweetening my days. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, the thing that I've decided at, at the new year was to eliminate sugar from my diet for the year, you know, and if there's a cake, I'll just look forward to 2024. It's going to be a great cake in 2024. <laughs> um, but for this, for this year, I'm going to set it aside because of her thoughts about not being a slave to the world. And, um, mm-hmm. There are lots of beautiful thoughts on, on these pages and she's writing to nuns, you know, she's writing to nuns a long time ago. So talk about irrelevant to my 21st century corporate sure. life or whatever, you know, um, but really, uh, such deep reflections and, and such an honest reckoning. She's always calling herself, you know, ah, I don't even know what I'm talking about. So ignore this if it doesn't make sense. You know, she's very conversational in the way that she,
0: she, she <laughs> treats, that.
1: she treats the reader. Um but yeah, such such sweetness in it.
0: So that's really good. Okay. Well I love that. I haven't read that one yet, so I'll add it to my TBR list. Mm. Um for me, the thing adding more beauty, this sounds like such a shameless plug, but I don't mean it to. It just happens to be the start of Ash Wednesday, is I have a playlist that I made that accompanies Mm. my book for Lent. It's called Bitter and Sweet. So I created a playlist a couple of years ago. I guess last year is when the Lent book finally came out. But um it's just a song a day. And it kind of helps people walk through the journey of Lent musically in mm-hmm. as best we could, you know. So, you know, if you read bitter and sweet. I've got a song mentioned. We've got artwork to look at every week, blah, blah, blah. So I just started listening to the playlist today and I was reminded like, there's really great music out there. You just Mm. have to search for it. And I think sometimes people kind of shoo christian music because of the mainstream versions that we mm. we hear and those aren't maybe the best but there's some really great indie artists really great instrumentals really great old hymns done well um and that's what this playlist has and so i've just been listening to it on repeat today so i'll put it in the show notes as well for anyone who wants good music this Lent.
1: i was gonna say how could anybody resist listening to all 40 songs in one in one sitting <laughs>
0: Oh, you absolutely can't. Yeah. You listen no. to the whole thing and and then you start mixing it up and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's really great. So, yeah, I have it on repeat, just like I have my Advent one on repeat all, you know, I don't save it one song at a time, but it is intentional. So just keep well, it in do mind I have to wait for week. the
1: show notes to come out before I can get this list? Or-
0: oh, I no, no, no. It's it out. It's notes. public on Spotify right now. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll send okay. it to you. <laughs> okay, if you search, good. if if anyone doesn't even want to look at the show notes, if you just search shadow, no, sorry. That's my advent book, Bitter and Sweet Lent. You'll find it anyway. It's on, out there on Spotify or on Spotify. Yeah, Beautiful. maybe elsewhere okay. too. I don't know. I, some listeners or some readers have put it on Amazon and iTunes and stuff like that too. So you could always look for it. However, that works. I don't know. I only had the wherewithal to I will do look one. Look forward to it. That's exciting. All right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, it is time to wrap up this chat. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at Tishoxenwriter.com. Noah, where can people find you and your work? CLT, all the things.
1: We are at dot exam.com. And, um, there you can find out when the next test date is and our author bank and the blog and all the other things, including our anchored podcast, um, and yes. So we'd we'd love to have uh have you check us out there anytime.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. The Anchored Podcast is one of my regular listens. It's very, very good. And then also you guys have given drink listeners a discount code if you want to sign up for the CLT. So or anything, I think. Any test, I forget what, any upcoming test, you can sign up with uh, Commonplace, which is the name mm-hmm. of my newsletter for 25% off. So if you're listening and you want to check it out, use that code. All right. Beautiful. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. I am Tish Oxenrider with Noah Tyler, and I will be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.